coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. This is to confirm that you said that I could have so-and-so next weekend on your weekend. You know, the child. What? We never had that conversation, but they'll put that in the little app there, the custody app. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. And then they show that to the court. Well, we had the conversation. We never had that conversation. Oh, yes, we did. They make you look like the liar. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zong, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Okay, so you're in the discard phase with a narcissist, and this is where you start to see the birth of the smear campaign. So what's happening is a narcissist is starting to see that maybe the end is near. And sometimes it even happens six months or a year ahead of time. You know, sometimes it even happens while you're still in relationship with narcissists, but they want to start to smear you because they want to get the edge. It's kind kind of part of their triangulation phase as well. So what happens in a smear campaign is the narcissist starts to go to other people and say things about you that leaves the other person, the listener, with the idea that maybe there's something wrong with you, that you're not what they thought you were, that you are a bad person in some way, that, or maybe that the narcissist is a victim of something bad that you've done to them. You know, they're trying to line up their, their flying monkeys so that they, these flying monkeys believe that the narcissist is a good person and that you are a bad person. And it especially happens in the discard phase. And if they're more of a covert narcissist, they might start to say things, you know, many months ahead of time, like, oh, you know, she, she forgot about the kids and didn't feed them dinner, but, you know, she's got so much going on and, you know, sort of like, a kind of a good thing about you, but also sort of like a smearing of you, something like that. Um, you know, if, if you're dealing with like an in-law, then that mother-in-law might say to somebody else like, oh, um, you know, I don't know why she insists on keeping my son away from me, you know, when maybe that person never did anything to the mother-in-law, but the mother-in-law wants people to believe that there is a problem. You know, maybe it's, you know, they're not taking good care of the kids or something like that. You know, they just start to like embed little seeds of doubt in other people's minds that say, you know what, maybe there's something wrong with this person or I've heard things, you know, about this person. And we as human beings, we tend to take all of that stuff in. I mean, that's why National Enquirer and all 
of these kind of more smutty sort of magazines, they say things about celebrities like, you know, so-and-so is drunk, you know, in public in a bar. And it could be completely wrong. It could be that they weren't even at that bar. Or maybe they just showed up over there and had one drink and left. But it becomes this story. And now there's that seed of doubt. Now, every time you see that actor or actress, you think, hmm, wonder if that person has a drinking problem. I heard that person has a drinking problem. And especially if it gets picked up by, you know, some media that ends up being um, sort of more reputable or whatever. And the same thing happens in a smear campaign with narcissists. They end up kind of just saying just enough. They're really masters at saying just enough, like sprinkling in a few kernels of truth so that it sounds believable. It sounds plausible. That seems to be what's actually going on there. And and so they will do this so that they can try to get control over you or try to take you down, try to break you in some way, try to make you go crazy, you know, all of those things that they try to do to get their narcissistic supply. They got to get that hit of narcissistic supply. And if you want to know more about narcissistic supply, check out my video on narcissistic supply, but it's their lifeblood. It's what they need to live on. So one of the things that you can do to shut down this smear campaign is really to just ignore it and and just not give it any life. Don't feed the fire. Don't go back to the other person and try to correct things or whatever. Um, if they're saying things in court, you know, like let's say they said things in a pleading or an emotion or something like that, you can respond in a way that you need to respond to maybe formally, you know, with a denial uh, in a pleading or something like that. Or you can potentially wait until you have to testify or or be in a deposition and then allow your attorney to ask the proper questions to elicit your response so that you can actually um, respond to whatever it is that they might have said if, if it's necessary to even respond. But sometimes, you know, they can send you this super long email about how you are, you know, a deadbeat or a drug abuser or a wife beater or whatever it is that they're saying and you know and then maybe there's one kernel in there of something that you need to respond to like what time to pick up the kids or something and you can just say I deny all of your allegations I'm in receipt of your email I deny all of your allegations thank you very much I will see you on Wednesday at three to pick up the kids and and just leave it like that and don't feel like you have to respond to every single thing that they say because if you do then you get sucked into the mud, you get sucked into the vortex, and now you're in it. And now your emotions are running wild. Now they've got that narcissistic supply that they're looking for. So just something, for the most part, just ignore it. And it's really, really hard. And I've had to do this. I've had a couple of narcissists that have targeted me. And I know that smear campaigns have gone on. And I've just made a decision that, you know, I can't control what the narcissist is going to say to other people. There's no way other than maybe duct taping their mouth and putting, shoving them in the basement that you can ever stop them from saying what they're going to say. I mean, they're just awful people. So 
so you can't control them, but you can control your response to it. And so just ignore them and understand that they're going to do what they're going to do, but you can also do what you're going to do. All right. The next thing that you can do to shut down a narcissist smear campaign is create your own life, create your own new beginning, create your own new future, and just move forward and don't give that any power or any more energy by creating your own new life. One of the things that I learned how to do to pivot was I realized that as long as I'm thinking about what the narcissist is saying, doing, or or engaging in, I am not in creation mode. I am not doing something that serves my soul and serves humanity and serves the world. And that's our purpose here on this planet. We are here to, to grow, to learn, to expand into the best versions of ourselves. And if you are mired in what is the narcissist doing and and all up in that, first of all, it doesn't allow you to be in creation mode or positive mode because you can't be in both at the same time. But second of all, Quantum law tells us that what you think about multiplies, what you appreciate appreciates. And so if you're thinking about what that narcissist is doing, saying, and engaging in, you are going to get more of that into your life. Like attracts like, it's a law of physics. And your your thoughts are energy. So as long as you're, you're giving energy to those thoughts, you're going to get more of that. You're going to get more of what whatever it is that you're thinking about in your life. So start doing what you need to do to to have gratitude for the wonderful things that are happening in your life and just start pivoting. It's like, as soon as you find yourself thinking about what that narcissist is doing, I want you to just stop and go, oh my God, there I am. I'm thinking about this. Let me think about something else. Let me pivot towards something else. Let me have this project that I'm working on. Write that book that you've always wanted to write. Create that that charity you've always wanted to create or or do whatever it is that you need to do to focus yourself on something amazing and positive you know maybe it's taking your experience with this narcissist that you're you're dealing with and helping other people you know start a blog or something like that start a support group get yourself into a place where you can start being in a more positive mode uh, i do have a private facebook group Join that. That will help you as well, help you pivot. It's called Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung. And you can definitely join that and start to get yourself into a positive mode of thinking instead of that negative mode of thinking. And that is one way to really shut down that narcissist smear campaign. Because, you know, once you're no longer giving them supply, then they're no longer going to be interested. They're just like predators looking for supply everywhere they can. And if they're not getting it from you, then they won't be interested anymore. They will want to have to go get it from somewhere else. So let's talk about a narcissist and the narcissist smear campaign. You can't have a narcissist without a smear campaign, especially in the discard phase of a relationship. Remember, the narcissistic relationship starts with love bombing, then it goes into devaluing, and then we have the discard phase. And if you want to know 
more about the three phases of a narcissistic relationship, make sure you check out my videos on love bombing, devaluing, and discarding so that you can learn more about that. And remember that even though it starts with love bombing and ends with discarding, they, they can be love bombing as they're discarding and love bombing as they're devaluing. And, you know, it's kind of this toxic stew in between, as one of my um, followers had said one time. So it's so true. But in the discard phase of a relationship, that's when you really see the birth of the smear campaign. Because when you're dealing with a narcissist, you're either for them or you're against them. And you can't be, you know, even when you're for them, they don't always believe that you're for them. And they're, they're, they're t constantly testing you to see if you're for them. Are you, are, you know, constantly testing. And if you want to know more about how narcissists test their victims, make sure you check out my video on how narcissists test victims, because they're, they're testing you from the minute you are brushed up against each other, they're testing you. But in the discard phase of the relationship, when you're kind of coming toward the end, whether it's you are the one who's discarding or the narcissist is the one that's discarding, you're going to see this birth of the smear campaign because the narcissist wants to get out in front of this. They want to be the one that comes out looking good and you are the one that looks bad. So they're gonna do whatever they can to make you look bad. As a divorce attorney, I see the smear campaign happening all the time. And so what one, what's one of the signs of a smear campaign? You start seeing like that they're emailing people or or texting people or telling people that there's something wrong with you. That, you know, in a divorce setting, they may start the seeds of their smear campaign long before the divorce is actually filed. So, for example, um, they might say something like, oh, I'm really um, concerned about my husband or my wife because, you know, he or she had too much to drink last night and I'm just really worried, you know, that, that maybe he or she is depressed and, and they, they, they couch it in this like concern while they're actually stabbing you in the back. And so what they do then is several months later when the divorce is actually filed or, or going, then they can go, oh, so-and-so is an alcoholic. Well, I told you that, you know, I've been seeing signs of this for a long time. Um, and so that's kind of part of the smear campaign. You start to see these little seeds being planted um, through what they're saying, through what they're texting, what they're um, what they're emailing to people. Um, and, 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 you know, you might even see it on their social media and that sort of thing. So they're, they're much more covert usually about it before the divorce is actually started or before the real discard is in full play. And once the discard is in full play, that's when, um, and out in the open, because you've either broken up or... Um, you've, you've revealed to them that you no longer want to be in a relationship with them, whether it's in a business relationship or a divorce relationship, or they've revealed to you that they no longer want to be in a relationship. Now they have to turn you into the enemy because they want to get out in front of it. They want to make sure that 
Everybody knows that it was your fault that something happened with the relationship. It was because you were a cheater, because you didn't meet their needs, because um, you're a liar, because you're the narcissist. They might even tell people that you're the narcissist um, because you didn't uh, do what you were supposed to do or that you were abusive or whatever. Fill in the blank. But they want to make sure that the world sees that they are the good ones and that you are the bad ones. So what are some other signs of smear campaigns? Flying monkeys. They start lining up their flying monkeys. And remember that flying monkeys are the, it's another word for triangulation. They're basically getting people lined up to be on their side and 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 see how wonderful they are and and how awful you are and 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 that way they can say things to you like oh um everybody else knows how wonderful i am everybody else thinks i'm a fantastic mother or a, a, a amazing father you're the only one who thinks fill in the blank so it's a way of isolating you a way of controlling you and a way of making you feel degraded devalued and um that no one else will ever understand what you've been dealing with because everyone else thinks this person is amazing. And they, they line up flying monkeys in all different forms. I mean, it can be people that, um, that you were both friends with. It can be, um, if it's a business setting, it might be clients. It might be other people in your field. It may even be members of your family. It may be neighbors. It may be anybody who they feel that they can use against you to hurt you so that you feel like everybody else thinks that this person is wonderful, even though you know the truth about this person, no one's going to believe you because everyone else thinks that they're incredible. So flying monkeys is a, a very, very integral part of the, the narcissist smear campaign. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to Shopify. Dot com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash best life. 
Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day. And according to the EPA, indoor air is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to 100 times more polluted. And data shows that air pollution is responsible for up to 7 million premature deaths globally. I know for myself, my family has struggled with asthma, and so clean air is so important to us, and that's why having a good air purifier is so important to us. So what's the solution introducing an air purifier that has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more, which is Air Doctor, which filters out 99% of air contaminants such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, and all sorts of things. And it even features a whisper jet fan, which is quieter than all sorts of air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code Your Best Life. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code YOURBESTLIFE. Another way that narcissists use the smear campaign, another sign of a smear campaign is being left out of things, things that you might have typically been included in, things that you might have typically been invited to. And so you're left over here feeling isolated again, like, you know, look at how they're winning and, 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 and going on with their life and continuing to have a fantastic time while you're left over here out in the cold, being isolated. And obviously you've made a huge mistake in not continuing to give this narcissist the endless amount of supply that you were supposed to give this narcissist. So, you know, you're going to be punished for not continuing Continuing to do whatever it was that the narcissist thought that you should do. Which, by the way, even when you were doing all of those things, it still wasn't good enough. So it really was a black hole to begin with, and it continues to be a black hole. You will see that that's the kind of thing that they do. That's one of the signs of a smear campaign. Another sign of a smear campaign is having their minions, their flying monkeys, like check up on you and check up on what you're doing. So they might say, oh, are you doing okay? So-and-so wanted to know if you're doing okay. Or maybe they just have them spy on you by having one of your neighbors or friends or family members tell them what you were up to, or maybe spying on you by looking at your social media accounts to see what you've been doing. Oh, I see that you took the kids to some place or something like that, or I understand that you fed the kids, you know, candy for dinner, uh, so-and-so saw that or something like that. So they have their flying monkeys in various places, their little spies who are either allegedly checking up on you or just straight out spying on you. And the last sign of a smear campaign is 
what we see in the court system all the time, and that is that they file things within the court system about you that aren't true. So they will ask for sole custody, or they will say that you are an unfit parent, or they will say that you are a wife beater, or that you are an abuser, or that you are an alcoholic, or that you're a drug addict, and you know whatever it is that they need to say to gain some kind of advantage over you within the court system, and that's one of the biggies. We are going to go over seven ways that narcissists make you look like the liar, and so that you can be protected, you can protect yourself when they come at you. I've seen every single one of them so many times. You know, they're so transparent, right? The one good thing about narcissists is that they are so predictable. They are horrible and heinous to deal with. It is awful, awful, but they are very, very predictable. I know when they come at you, it like causes you to feel so, uh, blood starts to boil. You start to feel sick inside. You start to feel, you know, your chest pounding. You start to feel nauseous, you know, like you don't even want to look at your phone. I know, believe me, I do, but they can't win unless you give in. You're not going to do that because they're actually more afraid of you than you are of them. They don't want you to figure that out, all right? And I've helped so many people uncover them. I know how to get them, right? So listen all the way to the end so that you can shift that dynamic too, so that you can become more powerful against them, all right? So number one way that they make you look like the liar is they start smear campaigns with their flying monkeys. And now let me tell you, their flying monkeys are their little minions, their people that they line up to try to make you look bad. You know, everybody else thinks this and no one else thinks that. And if you want to know more about what narcissists say, definitely check out my video on narcissist favorite sayings. They say all kinds of stuff like that all the time. But they start their smear campaigns, by the way, sometimes long before you even realize it. And they're really, really good because they'll say things like, I'm really concerned about how much they're drinking. I don't, I'm like, I'm because I care. You know, they'll, they'll put it in terms like that. They don't say, oh, they're an alcoholic a lot of times. I mean, they'll, they'll put it in, couch it in terms of care so that they don't look like they're bad mouthing. So that's one of the things that they'll do. And then they'll be like, you're over there going, I'm not that way, you know? And then the minute you have like one glass of wine in your hand or whatever, their flying monkeys are like, oh, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, there they are, alcoholic, right? You know, because that seed has been planted in person's brain. So that's one way that they make you look like the liar. Number two is they will distort emails or texts by cutting pieces of it out. That's why I like email best, honestly, because it's much harder to do that with email because you can see the email chain. They have the heading there. You can actually see the date, the timestamp, all of it is right there. And so if like pieces of it are missing, it's a whole lot easier. Texts, it's it's a lot easier. And texts like go on and on and on. And it's a lot harder to follow. And so 
they do distort that, especially in court, especially in mediations and things like that. So that's why I do prefer email. Like if you have children, I definitely prefer that you use like a app, you know, one of those court approved apps, things like that. So they'll distort that. They will cut pieces out. They'll use just the parts that they like. Very, very, very manipulative. Number three, the number three thing that they use to make you look like the liar is they will take pictures. They will take pictures. They will take video and they will just show the parts that they want. Now, I know, you know, they're not supposed to be doing video, audio, things like that. But sometimes, you know, because they can't, sometimes it's not admissible in court, pictures can be, but audio a lot of times is not. But they can show those things or play those things sometimes for custody evaluators, other types of people who are involved with the court system a lot of times. So a lot of times it can be useful. You know, you can use it too, by the way. But, you know, they'll just play and show all the parts that they want, make it, you know, make you look like the liar. Or they'll just play it for their flying monkeys or their their potential witnesses. You know, they create the narrative that they want to create. Right. So that's number three. Number four, this one is so manipulative, so manipulative. But I've definitely seen narcissists do this to make people look like liars. They will confirm conversations in emails or texts that never took place. This is to confirm that you said that I could have so-and-so next weekend on your weekend. You know, the child. What? We never had that conversation. But they'll put that in the little app there, the custody app. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And then they show that to the court. Well, we had the conversation. We never had that conversation. Oh, yes, we did. They make you look like the liar. So manipulative. I have a whole video, by the way, on this is how you deal with narcissist false allegations. Definitely check out my video on that because you're going to write back right away in the app. We never had that conversation. And I really don't appreciate that you're trying to create a false conversation. But you're going to watch my video on this is how you deal with narcissist false allegations. And number five, number five way that narcissists make you look like the liar is they trigger you to get super emotional. And then they sit over there super calm and you can't buy into that. You can't do that, right? They just, they, they trigger you, get you all upset, and then use that against you, and then you look like the liar, right? They get you to be emotional while they remain calm, and then you look like the liar. That's number five. Number six way that they make you look like the liar while they remain calm is they will instigate domestic violence in the home, and you end up fighting back just to self-defense. And then they call the cops and then blame you and say you were the instigator. 
and then you look like the liar, that is really, really bad. And then they'll end up filing for the restraining order and say you were the aggressor, whether it's man or or, or woman, by the way, I've seen it in both sides, male or female. That's very, very, very manipulative, but I've seen both uh, sexes do it. And be very, very careful about that. Don't allow yourself to fall into that trap, especially if you've got somebody who potentially could be a malignant narcissist who doesn't even care if they will ruin your career or whatever, all right? So because you're done with this drama. And number seven, way they make you look like a liar segues right into what I'm about to say, which is they create drama all kinds of drama and blame it on you wherever they go. All kinds of drama. They make it so like so angry and yelling and uh, all sorts of things happening, birthday parties, holidays, whatever it is, and then say it was your fault. You created it. You're the one. You made the problem, whatever it was. Drama, 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 wherever. You caused it. Look at you. It was because you were mad or you did this or you didn't pay that or you did this. I mean, and you're over there like minding your own business going, what? I didn't do anything. You're the one. Can't you see? Oh my God. They pick on you and they create drama. It's constant wherever you go, whatever's happening. They're just sucking you into this thing all the time. And there you are. And if you're not careful, you're just going to be in it. And so you got to be really, really vigilant because they're going to make you look like the liar no matter what you do. Those are the seven ways that narcissists make you look like the liar. And now you know to be on the watch for them. And now you know that you're not going to allow yourself to get sucked into them because you're going to slay the day. You know what to do. What can you say to a narcissist to shut them down permanently? You have to understand something about narcissists in order to understand how to do this. Here's the myth. Most people think that narcissists just want to win. That myth is totally false. Many people come to me and they say, Oh, they just want to win. Or maybe it may people think they just want money or they want, you know, those kinds of things. All of that is wrong. What narcissists want is narcissistic supply. Supply is anything that feeds their ego. But here's the thing. There are a couple of different levels of narcissistic supply. So there's what I refer to as diamond level supply, which is how they look to the world. It is the thing that they will protect and defend at any cost. And it can be compliments, adulation. It can also be, you know, that prestige factor, things like that. But really, that's like the premium level of supply. But then there's that dark underbelly of narcissistic supply as well, which is 
denigrating you, controlling you, manipulating you, making you squirm, that sort of thing as well. And that's the thing that most people don't understand. That's the thing that most people forget about when it comes to narcissistic supply. The thing is that you have to know that that is there also. And so to shut them down permanently, you have to know that if you give them any level of anything, that you're still giving them supply. Any level of anything gives them supply. If you look their direction, it gives them supply. If you breathe their direction, it gives them supply. If you give them attention of any sort, it gives them supply. If you tell them to go F themselves, it gives them supply. If you are talking to their flying monkeys, it gives them supply. If you are locked in a battle with them, it gives them supply. If you if you defend yourself, it gives them supply. If you take their bait, it gives them supply. All of it, as long as there's you're still in that web with them, they're giving them supply. You're giving them supply. So you have to understand that mentality with them. And, and if you don't understand that mentality, then you're never going to understand how to shut them down permanently. You, you literally have to think of it as like this tourniquet and cutting off that blood source, cutting off, you know, that limb. Because if you don't understand that, then you will continuously give them some kind of oxygen, some kind of food, some kind of lifeblood. And, and anything you give them will give them a reason to keep coming back. And, and that's why, you know, even months later, years later, sometimes you'll see that ping in your inbox, that message that pops up. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? You see, you know, Sometimes they put in their Instagram bio a Spotify playlist that you know that there's a reference to you because they want to to see if they're going to get a rise out of you, if they're going to get some kind of attention because they want to see, are you coming back? If you want to shut them down permanently, you have to understand that mentality. So short responses, short, the shortest you can go, boundaries. You got to start off with boundaries, boundaries like you've never seen before. I would say step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. Starting off with boundaries, you know, where you are absolutely drawing a line in the sand. Remember, they started off with that love bombing where they were conditioning you and you've got to start conditioning them back and letting them know that there's a new game in town. What's going to happen when you start doing that? They're going to not like it. Of course, they're like toddlers that are having a tantrum. They're going to start acting out. They're going to start getting louder, getting long, you know, kicking more, screaming more. Pay attention, pay attention. You know, what happens with toddlers who have tantrums? They think that they're going to get more attention. They think it's, you know, the worse they get, you're going to give in. And sometimes people do. But if you don't, 
then they're always the worst right before they give up. So you've got to cut it off. Short responses, zero emotion. I always tell people, pretend like you're reporting the news. Never explain, justify, or overshare. You know, just the facts. Look at it as if you are observing the situation. Oh, hello. You know, I, I'm now seeing you that you are talking to me. You know, obviously you don't hold a microphone, but you kind of like pretend like you are. You're just observing the situation. Never defend yourself. When you defend yourself, you're actually giving the other person credence. You're actually giving life to their ridiculous arguments. You don't need to defend yourself. When they send long emails, long texts, look for the one thing that you need to respond to and just respond to that. And as to the rest of it, you can say, I deny what is in this email, everything that you just said. And I am responding to the one thing that I need to respond to, which is that, you know, our child can be picked up on Wednesday at four o'clock. And that's it. That's all you need to do. As far as, you know, responding, you don't need to respond right away most of the time. You can take your time responding a lot of times, or you can take a breath before you even need to respond. Sometimes, even if you're standing in the same room, take a breath, take a pause. You know, sometimes you can just be silent for a moment or completely. Sometimes you don't even need to respond at all. Sometimes the things that they are saying are just so ridiculous that you don't even need to respond at all. Sometimes silence will just absolutely drive them crazy. And then they start to become unglued, which will begat something that they say, which will maybe become a great resource for you down the road, a great potential trial exhibit even, okay? When you send them over an offer and then they don't respond to your offer, do not say, oh, I'm going to send you over another offer. Don't negotiate against yourself. Let them counter. You can let them know this is the offer on the table. That's it. Don't allow them to push you into anything offline, by the way. Don't say, oh, we're meeting at Starbucks and, you know, we're going to do this at the beginning of the, of the deal and let them bully you into agreements, sign things off on pieces of paper. And you're not going to do that sort of thing. Okay. Don't do that. A lot of times you can just respond with very brief things. You can just say, sure. Sure, I, I understand that's what you think. I agree that's what you think. I mean, I, I agree that's what you think. It's such a perfect response. I love that response. They hear I agree, and then you've agreed to nothing. I agree that that's your opinion. I agree you think that. I agree that that's where we are at this point. You know, I mean, that's a perfect response. Or you can just say, Sure. Okay. That's wonderful for you. I understand that that's what you think. I hear you. A lot of times you can just say, I hear you. I mean, I hear you is just doesn't say really much of anything, but then they feel heard. It's great. Just a lot of times you can just think of who your avatar would be, the strongest, most powerful uh, person. 
you know, the elite version of yourself and show up as that person. You don't, you can, you know, fake it till you make it. Okay. And just be that person, especially when you are needing to feel confident at that time. Just show up, be that person, be confident because you are so ready. You're so ready, you know, because I'm telling you, narcissists are way more afraid of you than you are of them. And with the more together you are, the more unglued they become. They bank on you being the emotional one. So they want to pick at you. They want to get under your skin so that you become the emotional one and they sit there looking calm. So the more you cannot take that bait, the better it's going to be for you because they will, they will push the ante more and more and more. And the more you don't take it, the higher and higher and higher they're going to try to go. And you will see how it will actually become worse and worse and worse for them, right? Communicate to them that there's a new game in town and they will become more and more unglued. It will happen. The more you don't take that bait, the calmer you are. And hey, if you have to just be brief in your interactions with them, then that's what you have to do. But in your brief interactions with them, you do not let them see you sweat. Do not let them see you sweat. You just observe. You're as brief as possible. You are as strong as possible because they will respect that. They will be intimidated by that. And if you, when you go away from them, have to, you know, that's when you scream into your pillow and, you know, vomit in the shower or whatever it is that you do, fine. But when you're in that moment, when you're with them, you are as strong and confident as possible. Yes, you cannot get a narcissist to actually change their personality, but you can get them to change how they will deal and interact with you. And I'm going to give you six ways to get them to change in how they deal and interact with you in this video. So stay tuned and watch all the way to the end so that you can see what I mean. What I mean is they've been conditioning you from the beginning. You have been dealing with them. They've been love bombing you. Now, this is whether you're in a romantic relationship, a business relationship, even a family relationship, even if you've known them forever, they condition you. They expect you to act in a certain way. So what you have to do is condition them back. You have to let them know, hey, this ain't how it's going to go anymore. There's a new game in town. Things are changing. Things are shifting. And the way that we've had a paradigm the way things have gone before ain't the way it's going to be anymore. So you're going to have to change. And so you're basically reconditioning them back. And the way I explain it and the way I want you to understand this is that it's the same as if you are dealing with a toddler. 
The same as if you're dealing with a two-year-old who's having a tantrum. When two-year-olds have tantrums and they're conditioning their their parents, basically, the parents see the two-year-old having a, a, a tantrum on the floor, right? And so for those of you who've had two-year-olds, you know what I mean. What happens is the, the two-year-old wants something. Let's say it's a bottle. And the two-year-old is saying, I want that bottle. And the parents are going, nope, you don't get the bottle anymore. You have to use the sippy cup or whatever it is. The two-year-old's like, I want the bottle. And so... What happens is if the parents give in to that tantrum, then the next time the two-year-old just goes, you know what? It worked last time. So next time I'm just going to scream louder. I'm just going to scream longer. I'm going to kick my heels. I'm going to flail my arms. I'm going to throw things. I'm going to become even more horrible. I'm going to be make their lives miserable and I'm going to embarrass them in stores, whatever it is I need to do so that they will have to give in to me because I want that bottle. I want what I want right now. And then the parents go, oh my God, I can't take this. There's the bottle. And that's what's going on with narcissists. So until like those parents just go, "Mm, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. The kid goes, you know what? I uh, apparently they're not giving in. I'm going to have to just give up on this. I'll just have to behave. I'll just have to, you know, deal with it, take the sippy cup, and they finally just give up. But guess what? They're the worst right before they decide to give up. And that's what it is with narcissists as well. So you're basically, you know, doing the same thing. You're reconditioning them. Do they change inherently? No. Because they're not actually two-year-olds, they're actually adults. But you are conditioning them to let them know there is a new game in town. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you these tips to let you know how to recondition them. Are are you going to change them into loving people who have empathy, who now know how to care for people and become amazing human beings who, uh, no, you're not actually changing the narcissist spots, but you're changing them into how they will, you know, treat you, respect you, or they're going to just get out of your life. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
All right, so here's what you're going to do. I'm going to give you six tips. Got it? Number one, you're going to understand narcissism. You are going to start really getting into, that's why you're watching this channel. That's why you're reading the books. That's why you are getting all the knowledge that you possibly can. Because honestly, the more you understand, the more you dig in, the more you really start powerfully understanding everything you can about narcissism, the different types of narcissism, the traits of narcissism, the traits of people that they target, you start to realize, hey, this ain't me. This is them. I can't take this personally. This is something that's, uh, you know, happens to people when they were young. And you, you, you start to realize, wow, this is something that, you know, took place. And by the way, as I say all the time, narcissists didn't attach themselves to you because you had so little value. They attached themselves to you because you had so much value. They like sources of supply that have a lot of value. That's why they liked you in the first place, even though they gaslit you into believing you had no value. Understand narcissism. That's number one. Number two, set those boundaries. I said, I would say step one, don't run, you know, set boundaries, you know, you know, obviously get away from them, but you're not running away. You're setting boundaries. You know, the, the more you have fear, the more they smell it in the water. They're like sharks looking for that blood. And once they see that blood, they go for that. They go for that jugular. They, they know how to instill that in you. Set boundaries and stick to those boundaries. And then number three is don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid to confront them. Don't be afraid of them. They respect people who aren't afraid of them. That's the only type of person that they actually respect. You can't have fear. You know, I started to allude to that earlier, but as soon as you have fear, they read that and then that's that gives them supply. Your fear actually feeds that. It, they get off on that. They get a high on that. That keeps them around. That keeps them coming back. They enjoy that. You know, most people don't want people to be afraid of them. That doesn't give them joy. It gives them joy. You don't want that. And, and the more you can say, I'm not afraid of this person. They're just a small little, they're actually more afraid of you than you are of them. And the more you can see that, the more you can uncover that, the more you peel back those onion layers and see that, the more you will understand that. So no fear. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid to confront them. Don't be afraid to assert yourself, assert what's fair, assert what's best for you. Number four is related to that. And that is hold them accountable, hold them accountable for their behavior. If you're in litigation and they don't do something that they're supposed to do, they don't provide discovery that they're supposed to provide, file a motion to compel, 
They violate a court order, file a motion, let the court know, make the court enforce that court order, ask for sanctions if you need to, you know, if if that's something that's available for that. You know, ask for attorney's fees if if you can. You know, whatever you can do, do it. Don't sit by and go, well, I don't want to. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to, you know, hurt them. The more you do that, the more they get away with things and you're not holding them accountable. And then they think that they are, you know, still have some kind of power over you, some kind of control over you. And that's not okay. That's number four. Number five is, is reward positive behavior when they act the way you want them to recognize that say you know great job or i'm glad you're using these the parenting app like you're supposed to or whatever it is that they're supposed to do they do like their ego stroke you know so if you fluff up their ego it's a good thing I know you don't want to do it, you know? Uh, I, I know you don't enjoy those kinds of things, but, you know, I always say fluff for favor, vomit later, you know, because it helps you to ethically manipulate the manipulator and it helps you to get some things that you want down the road if, you know, don't do it just to do it, do it to get some things that you want, right? So reward positive behavior if it's going to help you. And then number six is the final thing, and that is to totally ignore when they are trying to bait you. This is so, so, so important. Probably the most important, the most important. This is something they totally get off on is trying to bait you. And they will try to do this constantly, constantly in a myriad of different ways, probably infinite ways, thousands and thousands and thousands of ways. It will go on and on forever as long as you allow it to. It, you know, I can't even name the number of different ways that they will continue to try to bait you. But, you know, and, and depending on the type of narcissist you're dealing with, the way they bait is also infinite as well. But, you know, they will constantly try to bait you. The more you can find yourself ignoring it, rising above, smiling through it, the better it will be for you because, you know, that gives them narcissistic supply. It also gives them things that they can use against you as well. The more you react to it, remember everything you put your hand to is a potential trial exhibit as well. So make sure that you don't give them any kind of things that you can, they can use against you either, by the way. Uh, that doesn't help you at all. You know, I know it's really hard. I know it's extremely difficult, especially, you know, if you've been traumatized by them for years and years and years, definitely get the help and support that you need. 
Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. He thinks that everyone is only limited based upon their imagination. So in other words, if you can think and consider a little bit bigger of an alternative or a reality, then you can go in that direction. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic, I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I remember I had an assistant in my office and I think she thought she was being nice because she just kept saying, sorry, 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 sorry. And and honestly, it would get on people's nerves after a while. And I, I, I think that, you know, that's not something that you want. And now we return to today's show. respond to narcissists when they disrespect you. They're constantly trying to bait you. They're constantly trying to get you emotionally riled up and they know exactly what to say. You know, a lot of times you've been in a romantic relationship with them and so they know you. They know exactly what to say, and they constantly disrespect you. It's so, so hard when they're constantly disrespecting you. And you're wondering, how can you respond to them? And first of all, why do they constantly disrespect you? Well, they do it because they don't respect themselves. They hate themselves. Remember that people treat other people in a way that is a direct reflection of the way they feel about themselves. Think about that. So you can't take things personally. And I've often said that one of my favorite books is The Four Agreements, which is a super easy read, by the way. If you haven't ever read it, it's a very, you can read it in an afternoon. And it's four agreements that you keep with yourself. And one of the agreements is that you never take anything personally because the fact that people treat people the way they feel about themselves. You know, people feel good about themselves, they treat people well. If people feel poorly about themselves, they treat people poorly. And so how they treat people poorly, they treat people, you know, like crap because when they do that, 
and they build themselves up. When they get that emotional reaction out of you, it gives them a high, it gives them a feeling of value. And so it gives them that supply, it gives them that hit. It's their drug, it's their food, it's their lifeblood, it's their oxygen, and they need an endless amount of it. It's really, really hard. I say when you're getting out of a relationship with a narcissist, you have to kind of start to pivot. You got to turn, you got to turn it all around, shift that dynamic, that power switch. And it doesn't happen overnight because if you've been in a relationship with a narcissist long-term, then it's baby steps. They've been conditioning you. And so you can't just go, okay, I'm going to switch it around. So I say step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. You're switching that dynamic. And then you can you know, apply my slay methodology if you're negotiating with them, strategy, leverage, anticipate, focus on you. But you can start by step one. Step one is don't run. You put boundaries into place. So what's the first step? You just put some boundaries into place. One thing that I, one of the first phrases I love to use when narcissists are disrespecting you or you're trying to just get them to be dispelled, to just kind of dissipate them a little bit, dissipate their anger. I love to use the phrase, I agree with you. You have to be careful because if they're saying things like you're a horrible mother or you're a terrible dad or you're a deadbeat or something, you know, you got to be careful because you don't want to say something that's going to they're going to end up using it against you in court or something. You make sure that you use it in this way. I agree with you that that's what you think. You know, so they're disrespecting you. You need to get out of it. You just want to calm them down. You just want to get yourself out of there. So I use terms like I agree with you because they hear I agree and you're not agreeing to anything. The second one I like to use is I can see that you are upset. And I love phrases like this because you are actually now starting to remove yourself from the situation and starting to observe it as if you are a third party. That way you can start to see them for who they are. And that really starts to help your healing. It starts to get you on the path to becoming the more powerful version of yourself. You start to remember who you are. And number three is very similar, where you start to say things where you're just observing them, where you say, your approach is not working for me. Again, you're pushing it back on them. Your approach, it's not working for me. You're going to have to find a different one. You are the one who's upset. You are remaining calm. You are the steady one. It's making them appear to be the one who's the crazy one. You stay steady. Number four, again, is similar in a way. You just say, okay, and just look at them. You say nothing. You don't take their bait. You just observe. Or you could just look at them like this. Mm. Mm, it's sort of like an okay, but mm, like that. 
Number five, you want to engage me in conversation? You will have to remain calm, factual, and non-emotional. You're looking at them and you're saying, hey there, buddy boy or young lady or whoever it is that you're talking to. You don't have to say it like that, but you're just basically, that's your attitude. You want to engage me in conversation? You will have to remain calm, factual, and non-emotional. You just stand there and you you are the one who is calm, factual, and non-emotional. Number six, I know that you are hurt. You can say, I know that you're angry. I know that you're upset or whatever words you want to use, however it is that you want to describe them. But that is not a valid reason for being disrespectful. So you can look at them. You can observe whatever emotion it is that you're observing, right? So they're disrespecting you. So you can observe their emotion. Again, you observing, you remaining calm. You're looking at them like as if they're a, t- a toddler having a tantrum on the floor. Number seven, if they're just completely and utterly disrespectful or say something that is completely and utterly like personal or just ridiculous, you can just say, I'm choosing not to respond to that. That's number seven. Number eight, I'm going to have to ask you to respect my boundaries, especially if you have set down boundaries. You've already said, I don't want you to email me at this address, or I don't want you to use this form of communication or whatever it is that is a boundary that they've decided to cross. And that's a disrespect to you. I'm going to have to ask you to respect my boundaries because they will totally disrespect your boundaries. The next one is, I hear you not saying anything. You're watching them. You're looking at them and letting them have their tantrum. Just like you're watching the toddler having the tantrum on the floor. You didn't say anything. A lot of times just by saying, I hear you, they got heard and that's what they wanted. The last one is if we are going to continue to communicate, I'm going to have to ask you to speak to me or write to me or communicate with me, whatever it is, however it is that you're communicating at that moment in a way that is respectful. You know, if you are talking, you obviously are saying, speak to me. If you're having a text message or if you're having an email, whatever it is. But if we're going to continue to communicate, it's going to have to be respectful. And then if they don't continue to communicate in a way that is respectful, you have every right to not continue the communication at that time. You do not have to stand there and be disrespected. You don't. And, you know, I've been in situations with other lawyers. I've been in situations where I've had to take it. I mean, especially, you know, with other male lawyers or whatever. And I've straight up said, I'm not standing here having this conversation with you. We can either wait until you're ready to have a conversation with me when you can be respectful or we can take it up with the judge or an ethics committee if we have to. Sometimes you have to stand in your power even when you're a professional. I'm telling you that you don't have to do this regardless of who they are, even if it's a family member. And you have to find what's right for you. You have to find what's right for your own 
mental health and your own sake and your own sanity and your own soul. I know that it's hard, but you know, life is hard. These are the teaching times that we are in earth school as a soul. And, you know, I'm telling you that if you don't learn this lesson, the lesson will continue to present itself to you. I've learned the hard way, but you can do this. You can do this with help and you can do this with support with the support of people around you. You can definitely do hard things, that's for sure. I have a private Facebook group, a support system, which you are absolutely welcome to join as Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung. I also do have a sponsor on this channel if you need access to therapy. I have an online sponsor, which is BetterHelp, which you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung to access that. And we receive commissions on that. It doesn't cost you any extra. We just want you to have access to resources that we trust. And make sure that you have subscribed here and hit that notification bell as well. We want you to have access to as many free resources as you possibly can. The next video that I want you to watch is how to force a narcissist who's driving you crazy into panic mode. So if they're driving you crazy, you're ready to force them into panic mode. That's the next video I want you to watch. So you wrote this book, The Reinvention Formula. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you've now had this, not only did you get to reinvent yourself, which you completely did, you kind of like did a, a complete re-download of your own brain. You, you, you've completely understood, not only understood, but have done the work to create new neuronal pathways in yourself and and understood what that means. But you've also had the benefit of being able to interview some of the most incredible thought leaders and minds in the world. I mean, so you've gotten to interview people like, and I'll just name some of the people, you know, on on this list, you know, uh, Ed Milet and Marie Forleo, and I know you've you've interviewed, you know, Gretchen Rubin from the um, Happiness uh, Project, right? Didn't you interview her? Yes. Um, yeah, and you've interviewed, um, I, I mean, just name a name, seriously. Um, and and so you've gotten to talk to some of the most incredible people. I mean, even before we got on here, you talked about uh, Dr. Amen, and you know, um, so you know, you've had the benefit of really been able to, being able to do that. And so I wanted to talk about the tools that you've used and the tools that you've put into this book so that people can have the benefit of what is what you've distilled down into a formula. Yeah, I love this. So, you know, people think CLS was an overnight success because it happened in a relatively short amount of time. 
But what I think people might not realize is that I've been working on myself for 15 years like a lunatic. I mean, studying everything from neuro-linguistic programming, Kabbalah, law of attraction, emotional intelligence, all of this stuff. And I would document it and I would journal about it and I would just get things from different places. And I use those tools to have success in businesses and running marathons and all that. I just didn't realize that I would make that into a career and finally put it all together. But a lot of the things I learned with that are also things that I see in some of the greats that you just mentioned that I interviewed. And everybody's a little bit different, but there's certain characteristics or certain commonalities that I see in, in a lot of people. And a couple things that come to mind is, number one, I think it surprised people that a lot of the greats, they're not always motivated, right? Like you think that we're motivated every single day. That's not necessarily true. But we do have systems in place and practices to block out kind of the interference or the negativity or stuff that typically holds us back. A lot of people crumble when things get tough or when they don't feel like it. But a lot of the grades, they, they feel that for a second, but they choose not to be available for it and they continue on. And that's one thing that I see in a lot of people, especially like in the beginning when you're building something, like it's very trendy these days to say, oh, call it in, manifest. And I'm really big on that too. But I think it's important to marry the spiritual with also some of the practical. And in the beginning, when you're building anything, whether it's Disney, Apple, what you're doing, what I'm doing and so forth, there's an irreplaceable season of grind in the beginning, right? Like that maniacal drive. How bad do you want it? And it's funny because you mentioned Marie Forleo before. And I know she's someone that's really big right now and calling it in and stuff like that. And I asked her if she would ever replace that season of grind in the beginning. She said, absolutely not. That's what gets us to this place where we could start working a little bit smarter and not necessarily harder. So between that and also just like the imagination, like there's a movie that I love that I talk about in the book. I have a whole chapter dedicated to called The Greatest Showman. Have you seen the film? I have not, but I am totally writing down right now. You, you never saw The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman? never did, but I am definitely adding that to my list. You have to. It's unbelievable. And it's a true story about P.T. Barnum, who started the circus. And essentially, one of the reasons that I'm so intoxicated by his story is that he thinks that everyone is only limited based upon their imagination. So in other words, if you can think and consider a little bit bigger of a, an alternative or a reality, then you can go in that direction. Most people, they don't have the ability or the creativity or or the, the tools to think bigger. They're, they're cats, so to speak. Like picture a sports car with a governor can't go up at a certain speed. But that guy challenges his limitations. And as a result, what he can accomplish, the ceiling continues to rise. So I was just always drawn to his story. And I know that a lot of the greats that we've interviewed, some of the ones that you mentioned, they all think really, 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 really big. And the good news about thinking big is that it's a superpower and it's accessible for everybody. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I and you know, one of the things that I love about what you say is that clarity follows action. Mm -hmm. And I love that because, you know, it, it's it, it, a lot of times people get like analysis paralysis, you, you know, I mean, I know that it can happen for me too. And, I, you know, and I'm going to give you an example and then I want you to get into what your, um, your thought is on this. You know, for me, for example, I just launched my 
High Conflict Negotiation Certification Program. Okay. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. But, you know, I have been talking about this for more than two years. Okay. I mean, and when I went back and looked at my notes about it, and I've been, you know, I've been like thinking about, oh, I don't I really don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. You know, and it just, it felt daunting to me. It just felt like I really didn't know what to do. And then, you know, this past couple months, I just, I felt like my back was against the wall and I just felt like I'd really, you know, gone as far as I could, as, as far as some other things in my company. And I just thought, you know what? I, I just decided I'm going to force my own hand. So you know what I did? I set the webinar to tell my community about the program and basically, I knew that I had to have the program launched by July 11th. And so I sent the email to the community about it. And I thought, once the email goes out, that program needs to be done by July 11th. Accountability. Accountability. I love that. Accountability to myself. Because right. I was like, I have 200,000 people on my email list. And I was like, I got to get this. Okay, once I hit send, I was like, all right, now, now you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. It got to be done. So, you know, action, clarity, you know, it was like, I think that real quick to just interject, I think what you did right there is a cheat code. And I often do that to myself also, like signing up for marathons when I'm not ready yet. Because once I put it out there, like you could let yourself down behind closed doors, but you can't let down 200,000 people on your email list. That's massive accountability. I made myself do it. I was like, all right, there we go. It's got to be done. Yeah. So my IT people, my video editors, everybody knew it's got to be done. Sales team happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And clarity follows action, right? Like you didn't have all the answers. You didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but you get in the damn arena yep. and then the downloads begin to come or the universe opens or the right person says something at the right time. And oftentimes people that you're right, like people are so afraid to fail that they don't even start. But oftentimes, like if you just get in the arena, even if it's not the thing, it'll most likely be the thing that leads to the thing. But you'll never know unless you let go of waiting for the perfect time. Yeah. And it's scary. You know, it's scary. I was like, okay, you know, what if nobody shows up? What if nobody buys it? You know, whatever. But, you know, same thing with like a new book coming out, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and all you could really do is marry the process and divorce the outcome, put yourself in the best position to succeed. But ultimately, something good always happens once you take action, once you put it out there. And even like the last two live events that I did, the first one in New York a couple months back, and then the one that you're coming to in CLS Beverly Hills, like I didn't have all the answers, but I felt called. And I know now from based upon my experience that I just put it out there. I post about it. I let everybody know. People start signing up and we get some speakers and we go from there. So you just, there's like, this is art to this. There's a magic of just taking messy action. And for your listeners, I encourage you very much to give yourself permission to be less than perfect. Mm. 
Oh my gosh, so many good quotes in just that one little breath. <laughs> Did you hear that? Carry <laughs> the process, divorce the outcome. <laughs> so many good things right there. Love mantras, love them. Oh, so many good things right there. Love it, love it, love it. You know, I mean, and and one of the things that I love is like once when you decided to get started in your process, you know, you figured out early on what do I need to do here? You know, so you you got connected with Dave Meltzer early on. You, you know, I heard that you know you like flew out to meet him. You didn't even know him, right? right. Like you you just like took a big risk. Yeah, you know. And, yeah. and just so tell, tell that story. Yeah, so somehow I got connected with Dave. First of all, I didn't even know Dave. Um, I, I I knew of him after I entered this industry. I didn't know a lot of people, which surprises everybody. I'm just really passionate about personal development. But we ended up doing a live or something like that. Um, and it was a big success and we hit it off. And, and I just said, I want to do more with that guy. He's a 55-year-old man. He has a lot more life experience and wisdom than I do. Um, and, and I want to get to know him better. So I literally booked a ticket, flew out to San Diego or, or LA, wherever he was. And I just asked him if he had an hour. And if not, I'll take 15 minutes. And I went down to his studio and I just spent some time with him and I got to know him a lot better. Uh, and then from there, I pitched him to do a weekly Instagram show called The Paradigm Shift. And what I did with, with that is, so I had started building my community and I asked my community, I go, I don't really like to ask a lot for things, but but I haven't asked right now. They're like, sure, anything, Greg. So I said, can you guys do me a favor and hit up Dave on anywhere that you can? DM, email, his website, his team, anywhere. And just say, hey, I saw you do some stuff with Craig Siegel and we'd love to see more of you two together. Literally like a thousand people hit him up in one day. And his team reached out to me like, what, what the hell did you say to your community? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, they all want to see you and Dave do some more things. So... He said yes to the paradigm shift, which you have been on too. Now we're at 123 weeks in a row. We've had some of the world's biggest celebrities, thought leaders. That's given us a ton of exposure and so forth. And so I made the move to fly there to shake his hand, to get to know him a little bit better, earn his trust, pitch him to do some things, and the rest is history. And I think the lesson there is when I entered this space, you know, I, I've had success in other things just like you, Rebecca. But leaning into this, one thing that I couldn't tie to confidence was experience. So I knew early on that I don't know what I don't know. And I made it an effort. And this is so good for your listeners. I did everything that I could to get around people that weren't necessarily better than me, but were a little bit further ahead. And that accelerated my growth. Yeah, I mean, so smart. And it was just such a... Um... A, a beautiful thing, you know, that you took that risk and you went that extra mile and 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 said, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. And you know, he could have said no, he could have laughed in your face or whatever, but you took the you took the risk and it paid off for you. Yeah, I think everybody's got to take some risks, right? Like you got to get in the damn arena. I keep saying it, but like nothing's going to happen from the sidelines. And what's the worst that can happen, right? Like a closed mouth doesn't get fed. You got to take some shots. And in life, like if you want to, and I say very humbly, everything since I started CLS has worked, obviously not up in a straight line, but for the most part, but also I'm willing to take some big misses as I continue to take some big swings. And I think that's important, especially for entrepreneurs. Like if you want to take some massive swings and, and aim for the fences, 
then you have to be prepared for some massive misses. And that doesn't scare me because I know that I'm battle-tested, I'm resilient and resourceful enough to figure things out. And there's a big difference between failing and being a failure. You know, being a failure is finite. But if you're failing, in my eyes, I think that means that you're trying and that's good. So I encourage your listeners to not shy away from that and, and be willing to give yourself permission to be less than perfect, take some messy action, and not be afraid to look silly in the process. Well, you know, it goes back to what I often say about negotiating, which is the fact that a lot of people take the process of negotiating and uh, and 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 somehow collapse the outcome with their self worth. You mm. know, and and as long as you can not have the outcome be tied to your self-worth, you know, and know that you are worthy regardless of what happens, then, you know, then, then, then that is, um, then you're, you know, you're fine. So what you're talking about is saying, Hey, you are worthy regardless of what happens there. I actually, yes, I am saying, I actually think, to be honest with you, you just helped me articulate this. I think if you just have the the guts to go for it, that makes you worthy. Even if you don't land whatever it is that you're doing, like have the courage to live with a sense of urgency, know that what you're worth, know what you bring to the table and absolutely go for it. And in my opinion, if you're doing that, that should increase your self-worth just as it is. Right. You know, though, one of the things that I talk about often is feeling authentically powerful and knowing who you are at your core. Yes. And, and you know, it's sort of like that oak tree, you know, where you feel authentically powerful at your core. You know how you do a lot of working out, right? So, you know, yes, you have that strong core, then, you know, you don't feel like if you get a lot of uh, people going, yeah, no, you're not for me. You know, I, I then you don't feel like, oh, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to try again because, you know, you don't take it personally. Right. right? And, right. and you know, we talked a lot at the beginning of this show on, you know, you had said successful people have a process for what they do when things don't necessarily go their way for how they keep going, even when things aren't, when they don't necessarily feel motivated. Yes. Right. And, you know, continuing to have that mindset, you know, I always joke that I don't, I'm not allowed to leave my thoughts unsupervised, you know? Yeah. Right. So like, but you know, having a process, having that formula, having that something that keeps you going, even when you don't feel like it. Because yeah. everybody can go, yeah, if I'm feeling good, I can keep going. It's those times when somebody's slamming the door in your face or telling you that, you know, you're not good enough or telling you that, you know, things aren't, or you're feeling like you're being triggered because of old trauma or whatever. That's right. That's when it's 
And when I think of like the grades, like having a system, I think of what you just said, what, what you say, and I love that you say this is you don't leave your thoughts unsupervised because you know that thoughts are not facts, yet they tend to mess with you, whether you call the devil, your ego, the opponent, whatever the case may be, they often try to derail you. But just the fact that we know that thoughts aren't facts and can we have a system in place to understand, to remove those disempowering thoughts, like an intruder in your house and replace them with the empowering ones, which turn into empowering beliefs and so forth. You know that you can't do that and and you're one of the best at what you do. So the people that I surround myself with, they all have a system to make sure that if they're in a lowered frequency or low vibe, that they have a, a system to overcome that and not stay there long. And one thing that I used to be guilty of, of before I reinvented myself, like, a bad day might turn into a bad week or a bad month, sadly. And it pains me to even say that. But now, with where I'm at and the work that I've done on myself, the inner game, if you will, now it's just a bad moment, not even a day. It's just a moment. And then we give ourselves grace and we have we transform from reactive to proactive and start playing offense to get back in that high frequency. Yeah. So... What would be one thing that you would tell somebody to do to get into that higher frequency again? There's so many things, so many tangible nuggets. Number one is you have to protect your energy for the life of you. And I know this is a controversial topic. It's funny because I was at the studio today doing the audio book for this. And this is one of the chapters that I was reading and I haven't read it in a while. And it was getting me excited, my own work and so forth. And that's boundaries and stuff, right? And for me... I'm at a place now, and I know this isn't the most popular opinion, but if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And and that means people, places, things, or experiences. If I'm around people, places, or experiences, whatever the case may be, often, and I find myself in a lowered frequency, then it's not that person's fault. It's mine for continuously going there and putting myself in that position. So now, like I am so selective and intentional with anybody that I spend my time with. And does does that mean that I have a little bit less friends than I used to? Absolutely. But that's by design. That That's what I prefer. I love to be around people like you and have conversations with you and, and some of our mutual friends and so forth. So one thing right out the gate is to, is to say no to things that have the ability to lower your frequency. And, and as you continue to evolve and spread your wings different seasons of life, look, just understand that no one has a hall pass forever. Obviously, hopefully your spouse or your immediate family will be around forever and you have a good relationship with them. But everyone outside of that, in my opinion, is there for a season and a reason. And then obviously just making sure that you talked about being physically fit before. Even more importantly is staying mentally fit every single day. For me in the morning, like non-negotiable. Yes, I work out and, and I have my morning routine. And some of that consists of listening or reading something inspirational or positive or something that just gets my mind right and gets me enthusiastic and excited about the day. I like to call it sharpening the ax. I think everybody should start the day with some sort of practice. Maybe it's praying, meditation, whatever your thing is, start the day and set the tone by putting yourself in a high vibe right from the get-go. Yeah. I, I say defend your light with your life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's not negotiable, not negotiable, you know, no, 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 no question. All right. So, um, 
I think the, you know, this book is going to change a whole lot of lives. I'm so excited for it. So excited for it. Um, and, you know, what is, is there anything else from this book or, or anything else that you want to share or anything else that we didn't cover that you want to make sure that we cover? I think there's so many people in life. And I know this because oftentimes when I start a speaking engagement, I say to the audience, no matter if it's 50 people or 5,000 people, I say, who here, just a show of hands, thinks that they're here for something much bigger than they're currently settling for? Rebecca, typically everybody in the audience raises their hand. So why is that, right? So what I want this book to convey, aside many things, the tangible nuggets, the, the mix between the spiritual and the practical and all that stuff, is to showcase to everybody, why not you? It's never too late. You're never too old. Reinvention is ready when you are. Reinvention is not a feeling. It's a decision. And it doesn't just have to be a career. It could be an identity. How can you play bigger? What skins do you need to shed? Everybody is looking to improve in some capacity in some area of life. One of the reasons why I'm so excited about this book is because it's not niche. It's not just for entrepreneurs or single moms or people in reinsurance. It's for everybody in any capacity that wants to level up in some fashion the way I have over the last couple of years. And I'm just so excited to transfer that energy to people and obviously also provide the tangible strategies to apply immediately. Yeah, so beautiful. And, you know, everybody is here for a bigger reason. You know, we all are. And, and just because somebody is playing a bigger game than you, it doesn't mean that you're not, they have a lock on it. It means that you can do it too. You nailed it. Um, to be honest with you, I, I'm so glad that you said that because I speak about that in a chapter in the book. I know these days there's a big thing called like comparison syndrome, especially with social media, like where you can see people that are further ahead and, and you get like psyched out and you start to doubt yourself. I have a different paradigm shift on that. And I say, if you don't clap when you see others winning, you're missing the point. Because even if you don't love them, they're just showcasing what's possible, that there's a market for it. That's why I love when people say, oh, it's saturated. As I like to say, there's always room for the best. If so-and-so could do it, so can you in your own way, obviously. So I'm so happy that you landed the plane with that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, it's all about abundance. Yes. Versus here, we wanting you to serve, wanting us to be abundant, wanting us to love each other, wanting us to to be cheering for each other. And, and, you know, the scarcity mindset just means that you are going to see scarcity in your life. Um, and so, you know, we are all here to support each other. We're all here to love each other. And we are all here to, to grow. And, and, and there's and. only one of each of us. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of 
negotiate your best life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about. Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating Confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring, and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.